Greetings and welcome to our first ever live episode of the Uncharted Territory podcast. Join uh, myself and Sam X as we explore the issue surrounding the UK central bank digital currency consultation, which closes today. So we're going to take an actual look at the consultation uh, process and the paper. We're going to be discussing some of the key questions that are asked within that consultation. Now, if you're new to the show, we've been getting together every single week to explore the changes in the financial landscape, the financial reset, and also look at the emergent uh, new classes of uh, financial assets, such as cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, and more. Uh, and I'm sure we'll touch on all of those elements today, but our primary focus today is to look at this central bank digital currency consultation. We've recorded several episodes on the subject of central bank digital currencies, and most of our conversations uh, look at the kind of changing elements on, on the uh, financial landscape relating to the centralization of power and, and control, which what uh, many would argue the central bank digital currencies represent, as we'll get into today. So, Sam, our first ever live episode, an important subject, and the consultation is closing today. So if you haven't yet filled out the consultation form, then hopefully our conversation today will help you to do that. Absolutely, Dan. Good morning, everybody. And um, yeah, really important. And obviously, we're always exploring the roadmap, as we always say. That's why I call the podcast that we're in uncharted territory. Things are evolving all the time. So it's great to see things happening in live. And, and you know, our job that we feel then is, isn't it to demystify it, get into the weeds, look at what's really going on, try and make sense of things and how we might navigate, you know, within within what's happening, you know, and hopefully on the path to looking to keep more sovereignty, more freedom and and react to what's going on and, and take proactive action. So we're going to get the weeds today of the document. I know you've been working your way through it and there's a lot to look at and a lot to pick apart as always. There is an awful lot to pick apart. And, uh, you know, I've had the opportunity to read the full consultation paper and the technology working paper um, only at a kind of rapid pace form. Uh, and there is a lot of detail in there. OK, so there's a there's a real lot of detail in there and actually getting our heads around what the government is actually asking in this consultation is, is actually quite tricky. Um, so what I'd like to do is. Uh, bring up the consultation paper, Sam, if, you, if, if as a starting point, and we can yeah. we can actually show what the uh, consultation is asking. So, if you haven't had a chance to look at this yet, can can you see this on my screen, Sam? Yep. Yeah. So what what you can what you can see here is this is question eight. So if you start the survey, the first few questions are about your personal details. So <laughs> problem number one is if you don't want to give away any personal details, then you're going to struggle. Um, you might have to come up with a pseudonym or a false email but um the, the first proper question is looking at the digital pound a new form of money for households and businesses do you have any comments on how trends and payments may evolve and the opportunities and risks it may entail so what i'd like to do is, is take each of these questions and have a a discussion around mm -hmm. them so this this question points out a lot of the things that we've been talking about here on the show and if you're new to the show then i strongly recommend you check out the uh, the, the uncharted territory podcast on youtube you can go through our episodes where we actually explore these trends in detail but uh, i'll come come back to the, this issue sam and and we, we can talk about the wider trends that we're observing as part of this question so of course we're seeing this as we've talked about in one of our episodes we've seen that now over 90 percent of the most developed countries in the world are pursuing some form of central bank digital currencies but alongside this we're also seeing the massive growth of cryptocurrencies bitcoin and more so there is clearly some huge trends in the marketplace. Um, and I suppose, Sam, it'd be useful to look at some of those trends in the context of this question around central bank digital currencies. 
Yeah, totally. Well, we, like we discussed, you know, even the BRICS countries that a lot of people talk about, the um, Brazil, Russia, India, China sort of um, collaboration, which more and more countries are joining all day. We saw from our charts and our discussion that episode that they're actually the furthest down the road towards these CBDCs. So it's really understanding that, you know, that's why I always like to talk about both. We talk about central bank theory currency, we talk about crypto and blockchain because everything's linked in because this is a shift. And it's a shift, as we've said, with a full spectrum of possibilities within it. And there is absolutely the, the spectrum for complete control, dystopian program of money, and equally decentralized, you know, Web3 solutions that actually give more power back to people and more sovereignty. So it's got that full spectrum in it. And again, like most technologies, how it's going to be used and the intent behind it from certain parties and who looks to control them. And it's always this thing, who's who's really got, you know, um, believers and who's who's implicating things rather than it happening organically and that's why i always talk about you know open permissionless blockchain technology when we come to cbdc what we're you know looking at and what they're you know i know they're distancing themselves from blockchain in the, in the document a little bit we'll get to that is actually closed walled private you know permission to blockchains which is the antithesis so those two things are diametrically opposed but they all come under the same tech so it's important to look at that and i think yeah the, the big aspect being this programmable aspect to the to the money which is a potentiality yeah i mean with bitcoin you know which has obviously created this new technology space um and really kind of liberated the blockchain uh, marketplace followed by you know ethereum and all the things that has followed there and if that sounds like jargon to you again please do check out our other episodes um there's always the speculation that bitcoin was created by darpa or government agencies um which i can see why people might think that but really actually looking at the premise in the original white paper of Bitcoin, it's really a, almost dropping a bomb on the centralized uh, financial systems if it's to be believed in its original context. And if you think about the structure of Bitcoin, it is truly decentralized, meaning there is no central authority that, that can act or interact with the supply. It's a fixed supply of currency. And um, there is no central institution that can issue more or... Uh, policies around how it's used so in effect it's a totally decentralized solution whereas central bank digital currencies in the form that's being proposed by the united kingdom at least is almost total centralization of the use of money it's the uh, the, ap the absolute antithesis of what bitcoin is proposing um and and so much so when you actually look at the consultation i'll see if i can pull this up because you know what the when you think about a if you just think about digital a digitized currency and it's it's concept you know we, we we're akin, we're akin now to using you know digital payments online we're using bank cards we're using you know apple pay you know we're using digital transactions all the time or digitized transactions all the time but it's still through intermediaries it's still through banks now obviously with bitcoin there is no need for a bank it completely removes the need for a financial intermediary you can literally transact in bitcoin freely with others without the need of a centralized institution and all the fees and bureaucracy that comes with that whereas now what's being proposed with the central bank digital currencies is that the central bank will hold the ultimate ledger meaning that they will essentially take the balance sheet onto their own um into their own institution, which to me, in, when you actually read the proposal that the bank are putting forward, the central bank are putting forward, I mean, I had to reread it several times and it's still not clear, but Sam, it almost seems like 
central bank currencies, uh, digital currency, proposing that the central bank will be the ultimate financial institution without the real need for financial inter intermediaries. So going from a totally decentralized concept like Bitcoin, where there is no financial intermediaries or control, to one that's actually completely central, <laughs> centrally yeah. controlled. The ultimate centralization and a whole realization of how the banking structure works, you know, and it's, that's, that's really interesting. We can see a lot of the banks, the form, you know, they're, they're shutting down all the high streets. Everyone can see that tangibly, you know, I know certainly in the UK, everyone I speak to, I see it tangibly happening. So we're looking at, again, a whole realization and absolute down, a, a complete centralization. And I'm glad you brought that point because, you know, we will say I'm not a crypto purist. I'm absolutely open to the idea that Bitcoin be created by who knows who. But I always, your points are important. And that's where I stand, which is, I always say this, regardless of, even if it's your, you know, DARPA, you know, like with the internet, whatever, you still look at it for what it is and its model and it's incredible and it solves those, all these issues. It's amazing. So that doesn't take away I try and look at it as it is, Dan, yes. because I can't know the answer to that question. Yeah, yeah. And again, and it's an important debate, so I'd never negate it because we're all about bringing every perspective and possibility in. But it's still important as a comparison to look at it and look at what achieves and exactly what you said. It changes monetary policy. The Bitcoin standard has all sorts of, um, you know, solutions to real world problems versus, you know, even our current financial system. And then, like you said, versus the digital, you know, central bank digital currency version they're coming in the difference between them. So it's really helpful to understand both, you know, and certainly people don't understand the basics of sort of fiat currency. It's a really good lesson because I know, I know in talking to people about Bitcoin, Dan, part of their journey of Bitcoin is it's helped them understand the comparisons and what's wrong with the system because they weren't educated like none of us were in school about what's going on with fiat currency and get that comparison and actually get a greater understanding of what's going on. And, and like you said, we're in a vastly digitalized world already have been, you know, so when we talk about, you know, the Federal Reserve turning the money printers on. I often use that sort of terminology when we talk about, you know, money printing, quantitative easing. They're not literally printing paper notes anymore. They are writing figures onto a screen largely. So it is digital already. But what we're looking at is this shift towards, as you said, greater centralized system. And obviously with the with the really um, overarching shadow of the programmable aspect, which is what the blockchain technology brings to it. Yes. Now, I'm just going to show another um part of the consultation document so this is from the bank of england's consultation document which is setting out the need and motivations and notice it's our motivations the bank of england's motivations for the digital pound you know so it, it's clearly not the public that's driving this need it's all the motivation it's it's the central institution that is driving and guess what it's prime it's first First motivation, Sam, is to ensure the role of the UK central bank money as an anchor of confidence and safety in our monetary systems, sustaining access to financially risk-free central bank money as the anchor of monetary and financial stability. So <laughs> case in point, number one, is, that, is they are trying to secure their role as the primary focus of the, of the economic system. Yeah, for our own safety, obviously, Dan, as always. For, for our own safety, yeah, for our own safety and stability, because without, without that, lovely central bank would have no stability whatsoever and it descended to chaos. Although Bitcoin is already proving that <laughs> what happens when you give people full autonomy and um, uh, agency over their funds, then, you know, the market can self-sustain itself. And we, we, when you think about the, the fiat system, it is already a very centralized controlled system. And, you know, it, it's so far removed from uh, self-organizing free market, peer-to-peer um, -peer transactions that we have all these problems that come with it so 
I understand. Well, Dan, I, I just want to pick on those three words. You know, what does financially risk-free mean? You know, that it's such, it's, <laughs> these these sort of phrases they band around. It's just, you know, it, what does it actually mean? I mean, that's that's why again and again, it's so difficult. Even if this was a uh, institution trying to be really transparent and honest about everything, then that would be a huge topic. But as you know, it's just these kind of um, nuggets, these kind of you know sound bites here. And and what does that really mean? Because you know, yeah, ha what, where what risks are they solving? You know, that's 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 what's important to look at. Oh, oh definitely. And, and and there is there is always a risk in any side of any decision. So to to put forward the idea. That, that there is a risk-free financial market is is just lunacy, and and then the the, the second motivation is around innovation, choice, and efficiency. And we know that the distributed ledger technology offers that potential. Yeah. Um, we looked at the ISO standards, the changing ISO standards within the previous episode, which shows that um, you know leap in efficiency of of payment structures, which we're seeing within the blockchain uh, type uh, cryptocurrencies. Um, but then you see like the other secondary <laughs> motivations. There's this small box at the beginning, at the bottom. Enhance, enhancing financial inclusion. Oh, we better put that in. You know, we better, we better put that in and actually make finance more inclusion. Although you would argue actually that digital currencies could actually create a greater problem when it comes to inclusivity because you've got people who are of a certain age that may not have access to the digital currencies. You may have some people of a certain um uh, financial standing that limits their ability to access the tools and technology that gives people access to a digital economy. You may also have uh, people with disabilities, etc. Um, you know, men mental health issues that prevent them from actually using digital tools. So actually, you could argue that digital technologies, digital currencies actually would reduce financial inclusion. Although there is a flip side to that when you look at emerging economies um, in, in developing countries that don't have a a robust financial infrastructure or there's heavy corruption then then you could argue that, that it does provide financial inclusion absolutely Dan, which it does in terms of you know micro loans micro payments and 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 people being able to be banked at their very own level in 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 you know in the in open in open permissionless blockchain form but i think it's really interesting those those two secondary boxes there were much more relevant and were speaking sense if there was no nefarious agenda behind it because i said you could use this advance in technology in a completely neutral way just to speed up real problems, which is we talked about settlement time, costs, intermediaries. There are huge, I always say this, it is a neutral tech in terms of it can be used to absolutely bring more efficiency to our, you know, um, settlement of transactions across all asset classes. You know, we, we always talk about currently you might be wanting to send some money to relatives in Australia via the SWIFT system. You might have four or five days waiting time, lots of fees. Blockchain solutions can bring in, you know, really rapid, take out the intermediaries. Um, so it solves loads of issues. So those two second boxes were, you know, had, you know, were, were truthful. Whereas the, it was interesting that they put the first box there, which is about, you know, maintaining control. That was their number one, wasn't <laughs> yes, it? Interesting maintaining control, yeah. Almost that was quite telling, but so telling, bringing control. And then we'll talk about why the tech can help us, which it can. But the problem is, is how it's implemented implemented down the line and, and the, the top-down implementation of it possibly going forward so it is important which i always want to look at it the problem is not the blockchain technology aspect it's the programmable money from a top-down perspective because smart contracts are what allow you know for programmable money but smart contracts agreed by two parties completely like between me and you dan as i said we have a payment system with a smart contract that's just very efficient we've agreed to the terms the issue is always is if that comes from a top-down imposed onto you and you don't feel you had a say in that. And again, we always 
bring up the point they will argue it was a democratic process potentially but we know you know we know that's not really the case that's not our experience so those those kind of distinctions are important to make yeah so the first question on the consultation really speaks into some of these trends that we're discussing here uh, and how those trends may evolve and the opportunities and risks that they may entail now in in lieu of that obviously we've touched upon the growth of bitcoin and, and these cryptocurrencies which really are quite frankly, a threat to the incumbent system and the power structures, because it removes the need for a centralized authority and any intermediaries. It allows people to self-transact. So quite clearly, when we're looking at the trajectory, we're seeing now, you know, yesterday uh, or this week, uh, a huge amount of um, micro strategy as a, a fund, which has bought literally hundreds of millions of, of, of Bitcoin, uh, worth of Bitcoin um, in, in value. Uh, and now the largest holder of Bitcoin, the major institutions, Black Rocks, the Fidelities of the world are, are pr proposing different funds, as we talked about in previous episodes. In fact, our last episode, we haven't seen that. So we're seeing this proliferation of this, this, this uh, alternative form of currency and alternative monetary system that would remove the need. So it's no surprise in a way that this first objective is for the central banks to retain control. Um, so that's a broader trend, but we're also seeing stable coins, altcoins, and these different currencies, which provide different modes for people to transact. There are different ways, you know, new, new forms of commerce, uh, decentralized forms of commerce. So these, these are rapidly emerging trends, which, of course, as we've alluded to and touched upon, are a threat to the incumbent system. So in a way, central bank digital currencies are capitalizing on the technology set that's been brought uh, to, to, to bear in the private sector, in trying to capitalize on its own needs. But ironically, Sam, the, the guide, the technological guide that accompanies the consultation says they won't necessarily use the distributed ledger technology that blockchain offers. So it's like, well, what, what are you going to use? Yeah. <laughs> because the proposal, when you look at it, and I'll bring it up if I can, let me see if I can find the relevant section, um, it is essentially suggesting um, that again, financial intermediaries could be taken out of the equation, meaning banks and financial institutions, so that the public, the retail consumer, transacts directly with the central bank. And that, that to me, is, is one of the biggest concerns, because that isn't a, that isn't, that isn't a trend. That's, that's an imposition. Um, that's an imposition of the central bank digital currency model that they're proposing. Um, again, it's through all of the jargon they use in this document, which I'll pull up in a moment when I find the relevant section. It becomes very, it's actually unclear what they're actually suggesting. Here it is. I'm going to bring it up now. Which is probably by design as usual, Dan, because as we said, grey areas are an important part <laughs> of control yeah. uh, and not giving full clarity and leaving open interpretation and, you know, moving the goalposts as they move forward. And, and again, what we've seen in when they make bold statements about not doing something that holds no water, because we've seen that in the last three years, particularly, you know, where we won't be doing this or we're not looking to do that. And and then suddenly there's a U-turn and we'll talk about, I'll talk about, I've got some interesting angles of why they may be U-turn on some of what they said there. But we'll come to yeah. So, so here's the proposal. There's a central bank core ledger at the central bank level. That's where, to me, that when I look at that, when they describe a core ledger, that to me is that they hold the funds on their balance sheet. So it means... Unlike now, where a retail bank, say your Barclays, your HSBC in the UK, NatWest, et cetera, Santander, they have their own balance sheet. So they, they, they hold funds on the cash and they, they're operating a model, a very simple model, if you take it to its simplest form, where they're, they're, they hold, they're, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a place where you can deposit your funds. And what the bank then does is pay some level of interest on your savings and bank holdings. And then it will lend 
based upon what it holds. And you know, we're not going to get into the whole conversation around you know, the deviation from the gold standard into now like the capital requirements for lending. That's a whole different conversation. Uh, but essentially, they have their own balance sheet that they manage. What this seems to propose is that the balance sheet is then transferred to the central bank. So it, it brings the question, what, what is the role of institutional banks? Now, again, this could be my own misinterpretation of what's, and I welcome anyone to correct, but what they're saying here in this proposal is that the central bank operates through APIs, I mean, it's a technical term, which gives access to private sector intermediaries to connect to that core ledger. Um, what Interestingly, again, what it says here is that the bank uh, would not have any access to the user's personal data. So I, I'm confused how that works, but what, what they're saying here is these intermediaries and if you read the detail, they're the ones that do the KYC. They know your customer. They're the ones that do your identification, proof of address, transaction verification. So you have these, what they call PIPs. And again, they could have just described them as, you know, to make it simple, banks and financial intermediaries. But no, they're calling them payment interface providers, PIPs, <laughs> and external service interface providers, ESIPs. Well, totally. Probably also because we're seeing the branches closing, they're getting more towards these online entities rather than going into your bank again, Dan, which is more of a a new jargon, you know, going through a PIP, you know, rather than a physical bank. Again, yeah, in the context of the first question of the, of the, of the, the, the consultation, that is a trend. We're seeing the erosion of physical banking yep. setups and, you know, branches are closing at scale. So we've got these PIPs and ESIPs who are authorized and regulated firms providing user-friendly interfaces between the user and the ledger. And what the difference seems to be here is that the payment infrastructure provider, like a bank or an institution, is separate from the wallet provider. So what they're saying is that external service interface providers can create private wallets so that you don't actually necessarily have to use the wallet of the, of the bank. But essentially, it's a disintermediation through the banks. But the, the proposal is suggesting that the central bank holds the core ledger and then they've got the user at the, at, at the, at the final end. So then what happens, you know, if, if the bank is no, if, if the financial intermediaries, the banks are no longer lending and saving and that is held on the core ledger, then what they're actually saying is the whole, and again, this, this is getting into financial jargon a little bit, the wholesale banking market will provide, so the banks will go to the wholesale market to, to raise funds in order to lend to their consumers. So the fees attached with that, of course, and interest, so the central bank is then making money from that activity, but then those fees are, of course, then passed on to customers through the financial intermediaries. So it's a real shakeup. And again, this all could be misinterpretation of the proposal, but to me, it seems like the central banks are taking a central role, quite literally, in the management of consumer funds, retail funding, um, in this report. So uh, that in itself is a risk. So when we look at the risk and opportunities, and again, if we look at the genuine risk of opportunities of using a digital currency, there are there are opportunities that, uh, as we've touched upon, in terms of speed of transactions, we can, you know, reduce the fees of cross-border payments. There is potential to create greater inclusivity across the world in terms of a global marketplace. But all of the risks that we've touched upon are valid. You know, increased surveillance, centralized control, potential elimination of cash, which, you know, cash provides, cash in itself is, is a centralized system and it's a centralized asset, but it's used in a decentralized fashion. You know, so the elimination of cash would mean you know, we, we're subject to this type of um, more controlled, surveil, surveilled mechanism, uh, which is a threat to financial privacy, um, re reduction in monetary autonomy, you know, it limits our own control over our finances, which we'll touch upon more in, in, in a moment when we come to one of the latter questions. We've got systemic risks, hackings, uh, cyber attacks, 
crowding out any private alternatives, the decentralized cryptocurrencies, all of that could be regulated out of the marketplace. So these are real risks in terms of the trends. Sam, would you, would you add anything else to the kind of opportunities and threats that are emerging from this? Well, I think, Dan, uh, you know, I think it ties in this argument of, you know, not talking about banks, but talking about these PIPs and these, you know, ESIPs, if I got that right. We're seeing in the kind of, you know, banking collapse narrative that we discussed a few months ago when that kicked off with Silicon Valley Bank and that, you know, they are imploding a lot of the smaller banks to centralise control more and more. So in a sense, this is part of that roadmap towards what this is talking about, which is perhaps, you know, their narrative is saying, well, these smaller banks are a risk. So actually, a lot of them, you know, we, I think we're going to see a, you know, a slew of a lot more bank collapses going forward over the next year, two years. So, you know, that can also bring the fear, well, it's not safe within these smaller bank institutions. So great centralization gives you more security, you know, again, but by design. And the other aspect is the security aspect, Dan, because this is a, a, a genuine aspect of distributed ledger technology, you know, which can bring a more secure feature in, and I'll come to it, you know, against the idea of hacking and, and problems of people attacking um, centralized ledgers. And what's really interesting, I've been talking about this, and what I think we've touched on in previous episodes, but I've talked about it in a lot of my talks, you know, publicly, that one of the ways I think of bringing this in or, or speeding it up is actually using that narrative, potentially via a false flag use of, you know, a cyber attack blamed on Russian hackers, whether it's Russian hackers or not, let's leave that aside. But a cyber attack narrative, which we've seen being set up by the web, talking about cyber polygon, you know, kind of foreshadowing that. And what's really interesting is just this week, actually, this came across my radar from the Telegraph on the 19th of June, Dan, an article, European investment bank hit by cyber attack after ha Russian hackers vow to bring down financial system. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's right in the narrative, exactly what I've been talking about. And now I'm seeing the article start to appear. This is the most obvious one. I've seen little ones. This one is absolutely almost like totally what we've been talking about. The European investment bank EIB has been hit by a cyber attacks suspected to be being orchestrated by Russian hackers days after threats to bring down the Western financial system. Now, let's just people need to understand the current financial system as digital as it is without blockchain and distributed ledger technology means that everyone has their own servers. Therefore, therefore, all these transactions happening across the world, they all need to be updated. They're all stored on different servers. Should you take out the server of some huge banks, that causes carnage. And again, that's one of my theses of what potentially could be happen or be brought about to happen to bring this need for a more secure system. They talked about the risk of the financial system in that first block. Perhaps that's what they're alluding to, which is it is a genuine risk. And the solution is distributed ledger technology. So distributed ledger technology means everybody is holding the ledger. You know, and the way blockchain works is when one transaction up, uh, happens updated, all ledgers across the network are automatically in tune with that. So it doesn't matter. There's no point of failure. At the moment, we have points of failure. So that is a weakness from a cybersecurity point of view. And let's just imagine now talking against agendas, whatever, that's a genuine issue that would be solved by distributed ledger technology. So my thesis is potentially that's what could speed this up. You know, the roadmap they talk about is very slow. We want to play there, but actually, could there be a catalyst like this kind of event? And we're seeing it talked about in this article very interestingly this week that actually thinks, well, we need this and we need to protect you from that because that would be carnage, genuinely confusion, people losing funds, you know, a really a real problematic situation. And here's the answer. So problem, reaction, solution, that old playbook. Totally. So it's important to understand yeah. that. Yeah, definitely. And we saw when we did our episode on the central bank digital currencies previously, we saw during the course of COVID, 
the accelerate the dramatic acceleration of towards central bank digital currencies and this kind of financial reset. And yeah. you know, part of the premise of this overall show is why it's exactly why we created this is to to examine these things. Sam, I'm going to move us forward to look yeah. at one of the, one of the next questions on the on the consultation. We've actually started to address it already. So the next question is given up. Again, our primary motivations. The Bank of England's primary motivations are proposed design for the digital pound meters objectives. I think we've actually already answered that, Sam. As it, it does, it gives even more control to the bank than they could probably even imagine. Because when I first when I first started to to think about what a central bank currency could look like, I, I personally thought it would be a rip and replace of the existing system. That we'd still have. Um, central banks issuing money money creation like they do right now um you know printing money you know not literally printing it now but you know digitally minting it um as they do right now you know there's 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 limited additional uh actual paper cash in the marketplace comparatively um and then have having the financial intermediaries the banks to operating you know rather than holding currencies in their current form they would just simply hold it in in a in a decentralized uh, form um, yeah. in a digital form and then the consumer would still go and choose their bank and you know the banks would hold the, the the ledger they would hold the balance sheet that was my impression of what would happen it would be a you know a direct replacement therefore it would offer some of those transactional benefits that we've talked about but the bank of england would still retain that control that it has you know so i'm under no illusion that the birth of things like bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are going to automatically supersede um, the use of central banks. They're a real threat to central banks, but it would take a lands. It would take a, a real shift in the psychology of human beings to actually take on a new system. You know, that's. I mean, I'm I'm all for it, but it's it's it, it's it's that's a bigger conversation. But I, I honestly thought the objective of the bank would would be to transition to a central bank digital currency. That essentially, is a modernized version of the incumbent system. But but it seems it seems otherwise. Um, but to answer the question on the form, you know, and again, who's this question for? Yeah. You know, <laughs> it, it does. Yes, it does meet your proposed design to, to, to meet the bank's objectives rather than the overall consumer objectives. Well, it's, it's a very bizarre question down the way it's written, isn't it? Yes. It's, it, as, a, as somebody consulting, does it does our proposed design for digital pounds meet its objectives? Well, it's an it's sort of inside question for the things totally. to themselves, isn't it? I mean, that's bizarre. Absolutely, absolutely. But we, I think we've addressed that one. So move yeah. on to move on to question ten. Uh, do you have comments on our proposition for the roles and responsibilities of private sector digital wallets as set out in the platform model? Do you agree that private sector digital wallet providers should not hold end users' funds directly on their balance sheets? So again, we have touched upon some of this already. And what, what, the, what the distinction is, is that you've got the central bank who hold the central ledger. Then you've got the financial intermediaries who I don't really know what role they play other than having responsibility for IDing people. Yeah, and, yeah they seem to be KYC sort of, yeah, and anti-money laundering, just intermediaries. Yeah, All, all of that function. Um, Which again, then, a lot of that may be automated AI, you know, into apps. Again, it's a whole reorganization of, of the banking that we know from before. Well, it's almost like their primary function is to, is is for, is for that role because the central bank isn't 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 going to take on that role. And if the central bank did take on that role, I think there would be mutiny, yeah. you know, because you know that that really is that's the last bastion of of of, of centralization and the ultimate. Well, also, you know, Dan, it, it it ties into what we've seen before, which is they get private entities to do the kind of dirty work of you know, like like we saw with the COVID narrative I experienced. It wasn't you know when you tried to travel with all that paperwork or you know. It wasn't the border forces; it was the airlines. You know, as we said, they use businesses to enforce 
what they want to enforce, you know, using the private sector rather than using the state itself. You know, they get them to do the dirty work. So I'm seeing a kind of parallel play out again there, which is interesting. Yeah, and look at the way the question's written here. Do you agree that private sector digital wallet providers should not hold end users' funds directly on their balance sheets? It's written in a way that kind of presupposes that you do agree. Mm. Um, so again, we've touched upon this. I feel very strongly that the central bank should not hold consumer funds on their balance sheet. You know, again, it, this is where, you know, I'd said to Sam before the episode, my head has gone into a bit of philosoph- uh, kind of a philosophical quandary because, you know, when you start thinking about what they're proposing, you start to look at what the alt- a superior alternative could be. And you start to think about things like Bitcoin as a totally decentralized um, alternative and, you know, pr- provides the opportunity for us to self-custody our own funds, you know, f- f- without any need for any intermediary balance sheet. Um, but I strongly oppose the idea that the central bank holds the balance sheet. Uh, you know, the, and well, it's a totally other end of the spectrum, isn't it, Dan? It's, totally. It's, you know, absolutely. You're so, again, you're so, we're talking about, you know, we talk about, you know, things like Bitcoin, self-custody, and then you go to the other one where actually you're so far removed from controlling your assets. You know, it's literally on, on yeah, in the central bank's balance sheet. Yeah. So, but, but what it's not, it, again, if you think about the way that you and I are using Bitcoin and uh, altcoins, cryptocurrencies, um, we can self-custody that fund. So we may we may have some of our funds, you know, in wallets, quote unquote, in wallets to, to, to access. We may have it in self-custody. Um, the reality is here, again, when they're phrasing the question in this way, they're, they're looking at where the, where the funds are ultimately held um, and, and, you know, who's responsible for managing the fund. And again, there is no... There's no, there's no assertion here that the end user could be responsible for managing their own, um, their own funds. But, but, but this is a totally different model. When we're talking about things like Bitcoin, we're not talking about traditional banking where at one time, you know, they would, they would be required to literally hold a certain amount of gold or assets uh, to back, their, back, back the demands of what the currency offers. You know, they promised to pay the bearer X amount of money. You know, we're, we're in a totally, di- a totally digital age where money is... Well, as we know, and you look at the fiat system, that money is actually fiction now. Absolutely. You know, so, so uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whether it's digital or cash, Dan, is completely centrally controlled in terms of supply. And again, you know, that's why that interesting point of, yeah, cash is a great privacy um, means of transacting. But in terms of storing wealth, it's absolutely horrific. And you're being robbed, every, you know, and we always look at that amazing chart, you know, look at when they came off the gold standard, you know, from 1972 onwards, you look at, you know, if you sat in pounds or you sat in gold, you know, you've lost 99% plus of your purchasing power through the expansion of the money supply. So, again, it's understanding that it is another form of fiat currency, but the fiat currency we have today in cash is equally, you know, just based on even centrally controlled. And, and again, can become non-legal tender at some point, can need to, oh, you need to cash that in. So there are issues with the whole system as well, because we know, you know, cash cash pre-71 let's use in the states you know was a completely different thing than cash post-72 it's not the same thing and a lot of people didn't realize that and i think that's a really important distinction to make that cash when it is an actual promissory note backed by real world assets you know be it the we had the sterling pound of sterling silver in, in the uk or the gold-backed currencies then it literally is you know a contract for the underlying asset now we are we are passing around notes that have no intrinsic value a completely centralized control in terms of supply and you know that's that's a method of control in itself as we've seen 
what happened to the the wealth gap from 1972 onwards for the people who are printing the money to the people who are receiving the money at the bottom of the, the you know that that kind of system huge increase in the wealth gap so huge issues with that whole financial structure which again this is the same financial structure but with extra controls on it and extra caveats totally you know so with 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 regards to what's proposed they're essentially suggesting that the, the, the balance sheet will be held by the central bank versus the, the, the intermediary so right now if you've got a bank account you know I, I, I use Starling Bank. If my money is in the bank, then it's on their balance sheet. Uh, if I have cash in my wallet, I have custody of that cash. If I have uh, custody of digital assets currently, altcoins, Bitcoin, etc., it's in my custody. It's not on someone else's balance sheet. This is the complete antithesis of that. It's, it's the total centralization of, 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 of the use, utilization of funds. So the next question burning through these is, is leads on from there, looking at... Um, Privacy. You know, firstly, do you agree that the bank should not have users access to the user's personal data? Quite clearly. But they still want to see anonymized transaction data and aggregated data for the running of the core ledger. Again, they, in, the, in the paper, they break down what some of those things are. Fundamentally, however, quite clearly, we don't want the central bank to have any access to our personal data. But, but, but as we discussed, the intermediaries or the PIPs or whatever crazy term they come up with will be doing the KYC. They will be doing the anti-money laundering um, regulations and therefore they will be the ones that have your data and it's clear as well from the proposal that uh, under limited conditions or specified conditions the central bank will be able to access your personal data to prevent financial crime but again that as we've seen with many other centralized authorities in recent years the the, the woolly definitions of what constitutes financial crime or, or risk is subjective highly subjective we've seen it in every area from the right to protest what what's deemed a, a an annoying protest for a noisy aggressive protest versus what's a you know, permissible protest you know so there's this highly subjective terminology totally Dan, we touched on it and i think two episodes ago when we you talked about you know some of the regulations coming in companies that so um you know such blocks barriers to entry to new businesses we talked about almost you know i mentioned you know it's frequently like minority port getting to pre-crime it's almost suggested, well, that you're possibly so we need to we need to know all the data data because you might commit a crime. You know, and that comes into, you know, the, the whole online harms bill and all that kind of stuff. So absolutely. We know that that, you know, that that remit just has no limitations on it when it's when it's escaped from that top down. And that's, you know, it's a huge concern and a reality we're facing. But again, look how this question is worded. Look at and, and the options. So it's, it's a two part question, but you've only got one way to respond. So do you agree that banks should not have access to users' personal data? My brain is like strongly agree. You should not have access to my personal data, but instead see anonymous transactions. So if you're agreeing that they should not have access to your data, if you press strongly agree, you're also agreeing that they have access to this transaction data and aggregated data. So there's no way to dis dis distinguish mm. in the answer to that question. So yeah. If you want to negate the latter point, you have to strongly disagree, which could be implied as saying, I disagree. Yeah, yeah, it, but, yeah, it's completely, they've stitched you up with the question. Totally stitched. And this is a classic, classic consultation approach. They do it over and over. They stitch you with the questions. Anyway, moving on. Moving well, on. the old double speak, word double salad. Speak, yeah. Word salad. The next question again is what views do you have on a privacy enhancing digital pound? Again, massaging the lovely feeling of a privacy enhanced, not a private digital pound a totally private digital pound, like a Bitcoin, for instance, or, a, or an altcoin, but a privacy enhanced digital pound. Again, the technological guidance around this uh, shares mixed messaging. Um, 
but again, this, in terms of the scope of the conversation, the consultation, this is where it's important if you're going to complete this consultation, which closes today, it's clear. It's important to be really clear on what types of privacy features you want to see in a mm. pot potential digital currency, because the reality is what we're talking about here is the Bank of England's proposed central bank digital currency. The technology in itself is not inherently evil. The technology in itself doesn't necessarily have to manifest in the way that's being proposed. What's being proposed, I think, is one of the... Uh, one, one of the ultimate worst case scenarios, in fact, centralized the, the way that the proposed it. But we could easily, and, and, and it is easy to start to develop your own proposal. If we were to propose a, a digital alternative to the pound, you can start to think what that would look like in order to provide monetary uh, freedom and privacy, you know, using the same technology. But then the question says, why would we bother? Why wouldn't we, why wouldn't we switch to something like Bitcoin, which gives us full monetary autonomy and freedom but we can start to think about what a proposal looks like and in, in, in the scheme of this conversation i think it is important to recognize the reality of the speed of these these current decentralized digital currencies that they're emerging around the world and they, they, i'm not saying they're an inevitability and that we can't stop them but as with almost every agenda that we've witnessed the machine is so so powerful in determining how people see the world you know, the manipulation of stories around COVID and everything like this. We know how powerful the, the machine is and how corrupt it is to the core and the, the centralized uh, censorship industrial complex means that any counter counter movement to central bank digital currencies is going to be likely limited. So if we operate on the premises premise that they are going to emerge in some form and they're already emerging in some forms across the world, we need to be really strong on what form they take. And for me, this consultation is that opportunity. So when we think about privacy, that's one of the, to me, that's one of the key tenants. Like, how do we, how do we ensure our privacy? How do we ensure that we aren't being surveilled? And how do we ensure that programmable aspects don't come in and, and determine how and when we use our money? Um, how do we ensure that we have full control over our data? And it was we who decides who sees what, whether it's a bank, a financial intermediary or the central bank. So in, and as in I've this, said, sorry, Dan, go on. Yeah, so in the, in the scope of this question, it's important to address that. You know, we need to be very clear on what we do want. Yeah. As, as well I always want to say, I think people think it will happen overnight. They've got so many ways to bring it in and it will be a tiptoe. So, again, you know, and, and I think your, your point is absolutely valid. You know, we've seen it. We know it from history. They are far further ahead than they allude to in these documents. So I know from, you know, looking in the blockchain world, you know, I know that recently a Project Rosalind, a lot of the top ISO 20022 compliant blockchain solution companies, you know, working with the Bank of England on testing, you know, and that's happening across the world. Lots of these ISO 20022 compliant blockchains, you know, they are absolutely doing testing with all these central banks and, and, and states. So, you know, that document you alluded to, Dan, they suggested, well, we're not necessarily going to use distributed ledger technology. We might, you know, we might not do. Well, that's not what we're seeing play out in this endless testing and meetings and, and things moving forward. So, again, you're absolutely right. They are, it's a, it's a double-edged thing. They are fur, far further ahead, in my opinion, than the paper suggests. Yet they also, it won't be as quickly to the most dystopian view, which, you know, we know they want to go. It won't happen that way because they can tailor it and bring it out in a lot of ways. And, and the, obviously the big tool they have is that actually will you be economically better off? Yes, more surveilled. Yes, have less sovereignty. But their real powerful tool for the masses is, especially after squeezing them through this period that we're seeing now and going forward for the next couple of years, actually it brings a little bit more of an ease in terms of your economic status. 
that's huge as we know if you're not aware of the agendas even if you even people who are a little bit that's the day-to-day realities that's why i was looking from a realistic point of view dan that would there be a mass up up you know uprising against a system that actually bails them out you know and helps them with universal basic income and it all ties into everything that's going on ai coming take more jobs mass more unemployment coming handouts in these you know furlough and payments in this new system you know when people need to you know put a roof over their head feed themselves they're just being realistic are they really going to uprise against uh, a new financial system that does that so you know i think it's always important to have these considerations in mind doesn't mean i'm defeatist to what we can do and we need to look at other solutions we need to build alternative economies i always say this we need to we need to have things that going you know parallel Yes. And be and, and be evolving. And there isn't one answer of saying, what do I do? Do I move into this or move into Bitcoin? Or do... There isn't one answer. because it, But as I've also said, the more dystopian that side gets, you know, and potentially brings in programmable money, the more that pushes more people to innovate, more people to say, I'm not having that, I don't like that. So it is this dance that's going to happen, Dan, where they're pushing hard, but the harder they push, as we saw through the COVID narrative, the more you're going to get people breaking out and looking at more things and having some discussions and bringing that so i think it's important to bring that bring that element into it that it won't be an overnight switch to full you know full um programmable money but that's where we know they want to go absolutely sam there is so much more we could talk about on this subject we've only really scratched the surface unfortunately we're out of time uh so thank you so much for tuning into this live episode of the uncharted territory podcast if you're new to the show we've been broadcasting this is our 15th episode uh you can find us on youtube spotify apple uh, and more platforms to come. But we've been unraveling conversations like this now for the, for the last few weeks and months. And it's such an important conversation. You might be asking yourself, well, I need to, I need to fill out this consultation and, and I absolutely encourage you to do so. Um, it's, it closes at midnight tonight. Um, you can find it by typing in um, Central Bank Digital Currency Digital um, Consultation. Uh, and it's important we have our views. Now, if you want additional support, Save Our Rights have actually put together a really comprehensive guide to the... the, the um, the, uh, the the consultation you can go to saveourrights.uk forward slash central bank uh, cbdc for central bank currencies and together declaration have also created uh, a template email that you can send to your mp or, or to the consultation so there's a couple of great resources for you uh, the save our rights one has a comprehensive breakdown of each question and the together declaration have got a, a template that you can send uh, to the consultation and your mp so uh, please take action today, uh, whether or not you use the guides, use your own volition on this, have your say, uh, use what we've talked to you about today to, to help inform um, your uh, responses. But it's important that more and more of us now become active in this conversation about this very changing world of finance. So uh, the last thing I'll say to you is if you're interested in more conversations like this about the changing world of finance, uh, central bank digital currencies, Bitcoin, crypto, making sense of it all. Uh, please do subscribe to our Uncharted Territory podcast show. We're available primarily on YouTube at the minute, but we're coming to uh, Rumble and Odyssey. Uh, and if you're interested in learning more about Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, digital assets, even just to be informed, then I encourage you to go to weareelevate.org forward slash reset. You'll see our presentation about the financial reset and you'll find out two options that you can uh, explore to, to continue the journey with us on on the world of digital assets. So Sam, as always, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being with us live to our audience. Uh, please do share this broadcast. It's important that we get the word out that the uh, central bank digital currency consultation is closing today. It's your last chance to have your say in this early stage of the rollout of the central bank digital currencies in the UK.